0: Feel the rhythm. The highlight of your week has arrived, Andrew. Yes, it has. Feel the rhyme. I don't know how to say your Instagram handle, so I'm not even gonna try. Get on up. It's 11 o'clock on a Saturday. We all know what that means. That you're probably keeping me from watching a Liverpool game. Yep. It's podcast time. Welcome to episode 17 of Rust Belt Running. I'm Adam Wheeler joined today by thomas Costello, you might notice today in our episode things are a little different we're one less person today your favorite bald sickly looking runner andrew he's currently on his way to the airport for a week-long cruise andrew we wish you and britney safe travels as you go and as you're hopefully listening to us right now at the airport mazel tov now a quick heads up to everyone this is going to be a little different from our typical podcast we are a running first podcast, certainly. But while Andrew's away, the soccer fans will play. So you can call this episode 17 of Rust Belt Running, or you can call it episode one of Rust Belt Reds. Just because we'll be focusing on sports doesn't mean that we don't have a plan. We're professionals, somewhat. No, we're,
1: we're definitely professionals.
0: Some of us are professional, maybe maybe <laughs> you more so than me, Thomas. Um, So let's talk about what we've got on tap for today. We're going to talk a little bit about the Columbus crew, the trials, tribulations, and successes of the last year in limbo. We're going to break down the week that was for Liverpool FC. We're going to be talking about how we see the end of the Premier League season playing and what we think is going to happen. And we're going to finish some things off with some word association. But first, Thomas, you've got a current event for us.
1: Yeah, I've got a current event, and we're also going to keep it running related, because as we said, we're running first podcast. Absolutely. Um, and we, we are masters of our craft, even if no one is listening. So we're going to talk <laughs> about Meb. We talk about Meb all the time. We, we talked about Meb. him last week. We celebrated Meb last week. And yep. I think we, that was the only thing we, no, we celebrated your birthday too. Did you have a good birthday week? I did have a good birthday week. What'd you do to celebrate it outside of God talking to me and Andrew? You, hopefully you did something better than that.
0: You know, it was a pretty low-key birthday for me. I'm I'm at that age now where I don't do anything crazy. I I went out with with my folks, went to dinner, watched a little bit of NCAA basketball, had a few beers. But
1: other than that, kept it pretty low-key. So you don't do, like, a birthday month?
0: No, nothing like that. Birthdays have never been, like, really big for me. I get more into holidays, like Christmas. Like, I enjoy my birthday. It's nice, but I've never, like, really hyped it up as much as I hype up some other things.
1: So, like, Christmas, Thanksgiving... Yeah. The beginning of the Premier League season. Absolutely. Stuff like that. Oh, for yeah. sure. Well, um, bringing it back to Meb, he is a, a very famous runner. We adore him here at the podcast. Adam has read all of his books, uh, but recently he was at a Premier League USA event uh, in Boston because yeah. there's apparently a big race coming up in Boston. There is. Have you heard? I I have heard. Well, um, he was there for a, a soccer-related event at Fenway Park, um, a certain football club named Liverpool have ownership based out of Boston. And yeah. so they had this big TV event, this live thing, and there's a lot of promotion. Well, Mev was there, and he he didn't break the internet because it's not possible. But on Twitter, he got a good amount of um, at least Rust Belt running feedback because he – he, he, wh- wh- what did he mention, Adam?
0: He decided that it was time for him to declare allegiance to a Premier League team, and he felt that Liverpool Football Club was the <sighs> team for him.
1: Uh, a man after my own heart. Yeah. So how awesome is that?
0: It's pretty freaking awesome. So let's let's review. He declared his allegiance. He also liked our tweet when we said that we were fanboying about him last week on the
1: podcast. Yeah. So all the people who discount our viewership and our impact in the running community, Meb is liking our tweets. Yes. So we're we're doing something right. We're Big doing things happening right. for us. So, but he grew up playing soccer. He grew up as a kid playing soccer until, you know, that transition from, okay, I'm going to be a world-class athlete. I'm going to be a runner. So my focus is running. And these, these elite athletes, these marathon runners, they don't mess around. They're running miles every day. Yeah. A lot of their time is focused on running. So you don't have a lot of time for extracurricular activities outside of, you know, your sponsorship because that pays the bills. And outside of winning races, that's how you get your money. So now that he has some downtime since he's retired from professional running, He's hopefully chosen Liverpool. He hinted that he was going to. In my heart of hearts, I feel like he has already decided. And especially after watching, <clears throat> which we're going to talk about later, watching him play Tottenham that same day. I'm sure that was convincing enough for him to not especially join Tottenham. But he's been a soccer fan for his whole life. Yep. So I pose a question to you, Adam. How did you get into soccer? How did you become a a football fan?
0: That's I um. I started playing when I was young. I started playing soccer when I was five and um, really actually wanted to play baseball. But uh, baseball was a lot more involved and a lot more expensive than soccer. So soccer it was. And uh, I, I never looked back. I started playing when I was five and then played all the way up through high school. And then when, when high school soccer ended, I started coaching at the age of 18. And then I've coached uh, in some way or another pretty much since in the last couple of years, I have not coached as much. Um, I've got 12 years of coaching experience at the high school level under my belt. Uh, I've coached a couple of all state goalkeepers. So soccer has been outside of the relationship with my, my family. Soccer is probably the longest relationship that I've ever had <laughs> with anything. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it's kind of funny. Like we, we were, we're a running first podcast. And as, as we were leading up to this, it, it led me to start thinking about like how running and soccer kind of intersected in my life a little bit. And, I'd like to tell you that I was more serious about my running when I was playing soccer, but I, I wasn't. Soccer um, soccer always came first. And when I ran track in high school, it was just kind of something I did to pass the time until soccer season started. But uh, the success I had at soccer as a player and as a coach have kind of seeped into my running. Uh, my high school team was, was pretty good. We were a young program, but uh, our coach was a, a good coach. He conditioned the hell out of us and we would run teams into the ground. And um, sort of made that connection between the idea that if you work really, really hard, you can do things that really kind of seem impossible. Like we made to the uh, Sweet 16 in the state, my senior year, a couple of conference championships, uh, and really a team that had no business doing so because of how young of a program we were. And then as a coach, I've kind of developed this idea of, you know, just being willing to try different things and, uh, you know, do things that maybe don't make sense at first, but you kind of think like, if we keep being a little bit innovative, you know, we can close the gap on our competitors. And I've applied that to my running as well, like going out there and, and trying new things, trying the Hanson's program. And, you know, it works. And if it doesn't work, you kind of figure out what didn't work well and, and tweak it a little bit and go back out there and change it. And so soccer has really seeped into my running that way. And, and along the way, I picked up a love for for Liverpool and for uh, professional soccer in general. Um, you How, know, did I,
1: you know, How did that happen? How did Liverpool infiltrate everything in your brain that involves soccer?
0: What's funny is it, it's hard for me to pinpoint a particular time when that happened because professional soccer wasn't something we had a lot of access to here in the United States. You know, we would get the World Cup every four years, but it wasn't easy to see leagues on TV. There wasn't a lot of content on the Internet. Um, so really my first exposure, I think, as I look back on it, was probably FIFA. And playing with some of those old Liverpool teams on FIFA, uh, the the teams that won the, the team that won the Champions League in two thousand five, uh, you know Steven Gerrard and Cisse and um, you know Jamie Carragher and, and Jersey Dudek. I mean, just names that just mm-hmm. make me smile right now when I think about uh, when I think about those teams. And just for whatever reason, that was the team that I fell in love with on FIFA and, and started to follow them as much as I could online. And um, at some point within the last ten years. You know, we finally started to get soccer more available to us here in the United States on television. And that's when I really started to pick up on it and really start watching it and, and paying more attention. And, and I've been a Liverpool fan ever since. And it's they've broken my heart, unfortunately, many, many times since I, I started watching them. But um, there's a part of me, that like being from Cleveland, that feels a connection to Liverpool. That idea of this, you know, kind of once great industrial city that isn't quite the same as it used to be, that has this really proud tradition... With its sports teams, Liverpool used to be like the cream of the crop in Europe. Um, still very good, uh, but maybe not quite as much as they were back, you know, in, in their glory days. And, and proud
1: that, citizens, too. They just love their oh, city. Oh,
0: yeah, they love their city. Liv- Liverpudlians are absolutely uh, just passionate about their city and how much they love it. And they're passionate about their teams very much in the way the Clevelanders are. And so I feel like kind of a real connection to uh, Liverpool fans in that respect. Thomas, yeah. how, did, uh, how did you pick up soccer what's your what's your soccer origin story
1: so i i did not play since i was five years old so i I will discount that now when i was a kid i grew up in a very um cleveland sports household i grew up on the browns and the indians and that was it i remember summers watching the indians game every night we'd have the indians game on on sunday every sunday we'd have the browns game on and i did not have any exposure to soccer as a kid um it I'll get to my FIFA story, but when um, <clears throat> I remember as a kid watching ESPN and there was a soccer game on, I couldn't tell you who was playing or what game it was or when it was, but I was watching it This is the first time I really saw soccer on TV. Cause like you said, it wasn't, it wasn't everywhere, but the t- I, the first thing that caught my attention was the clock because I was looking at the clock and I was like, what's the clock doing counting up? It's going up. <laughs> and I, I watched for about 10 minutes just because I was fascinated, like, When does it stop? What number does it stop at? Because I was just a typical Northeast Ohio American boy raised on baseball and football. And it just, it blew my mind. I'd end up not finishing it because I was like, I have no idea what's happening here. And I just, (laughs) I quit until about 2005, 2004, 2005, they released the Germany World Cup FIFA game for, I think it was back then, probably.
0: I know exactly what game you're talking about.
1: PlayStation or PlayStation 2. Yeah. And my friend bought it and I, I started playing with them and I started really to enjoy it. And I think a lot of people, especially in America, if you're outside of an MLS market, because you mentioned there's not a lot of soccer to watch, but the crew have been around. Yeah. even in Northeast Ohio, and you can be, um, you can advertise to this. I can advertise to the Canton-Akron area. There wasn't any promotion for the crew. No. There wasn't any um, commercials. There wasn't any marketing that came up to Northeast Ohio. So unless it was a major league from England or from Italy or something on TV, you didn't have exposure to it in Northeast Ohio. It was kind of like a soccer desert, at least in, until you get into it. Because right now I'd say soccer in Ohio, we're going to cover this in a little bit. It's, it's thriving. But
0: and it's funny because even now, like I it's easier to see a Liverpool game on TV than it is for me to see a crew game and I live two hours away.
1: Yeah until probably this season when they went on to Fox Sports yeah. Ohio. This yeah. is the first time that Ohioans have really had mass uh, consumption yeah. of the Columbus Crew, which is pretty awesome. Because I remember I would watch some games on ONN. Remember the Ohio, oh, News yeah. Network? The Ohio News Network? Yep. And it wasn't it wasn't widescreen. It, back then, of course, not a lot was. But it was grainy, yeah. standard definition. You had the black boxes on the side, and you could barely tell what was going on. And yeah. I remember watching a few of those games whenever I started playing FIFA, because I was like, I need to get – as much soccer into my psyche as I can, because I I played the game and I started to enjoy it. I watched the World Cup and that was all great. But then I got married, had kids, all that stuff happens. And uh, I probably didn't get into the sport really big again until uh, 2008, 2009. So it had been a few years. Mm -hmm. And I, I hate to admit this, but one of the reasons why I started watching soccer again was the big David Beckham coming to the United States thing, which now I've been a crew fan for, I, I don't know how many years, but kind of kind of sad that it took David Beckham for me to get back into it. But um, uh, my Liverpool story, it was 2014 and I was living in Richmond, Virginia. Now this is post-slip. So this is not during the actual Premier League season. This is not, you know, the marauding Luis Suarez, you know, Su- Suarez, Sturridge and Gerrard team that um, – you all know and love, but I was down in Richmond and I was at a, a USA versus Germany world cup event. Okay. And I was just sitting there talking to some guys. Suarez had just bit somebody else yeah. and they were talking about his suspension. Smart. And yeah. So I was asking the guys and they were asking me, Hey, uh, what, what premier league team do you watch? And I was more international soccer. I would watch MLS as much as I could in Virginia. Um, you might be able to see a DC United game every yeah. once in a while, but they, they said, oh, well, we're Liverpool fans. And they told me about this bar that was in Richmond and there was this Liverpool... Um, the gentleman who owned it were from Liverpool and they would open up their bar every morning and watch the games that when they were on. No matter what time they started, they'd open their bar up. And this one guy's like, oh, well, you're a Liverpool fan now. And I'm like, oh, okay, sure, thanks. I don't really like people telling me what to do, which is probably why Andrew and I get along so well. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was probably a month after that match when and this is connected back to Cleveland, but LeBron James announced he was coming back. He announced he was coming back to Cleveland. And that was a moment that was just for Northeast Ohioans, especially ones who love Cleveland as much as we do. I'll say it. um, He he really got me excited about the Cavs again. And he's also a part owner of Liverpool, a very small part. He's a part owner in – In a way that probably Usher was part owner of the Cavs. But still, uh, when he came back to Cleveland and I found out he was a Liverpool owner, I was like, okay, fine. I'm a Liverpool fan now. And I started watching it from that day on. And because it was so easily consumed, that's all I would watch. On the weekends when it came on, I was watching as much Liverpool as I could until now. And it's been, what, five years now. And it's been a bumpy ride, but it's been a lot more fun. (laughs) It's been a lot more fun.
0: I was just thinking, I'm sorry your first real season watching Liverpool was 2014-2015. Yikes.
1: No, but I think a part of being a fan, and we've talked about this off off air, if you're going to become a fan of a, po- uh, not a podcast, there's not much history you have to learn about rest running. But if you're going to become a fan of a team, I just, I just surrounded myself with it. Yeah. I'm reading books about Liverpool, getting yeah. the history of Liverpool. If there was a documentary or a movie or something about it, I watched it, and I just wanted to learn as much as I could because whenever you enjoy a team and support a team, you should kind of know not everything. It's hard to know all the history, especially when these clubs go back to the late 1800s, early 1900s, but just getting to to know the big names like an Ian Rush or a Daglish or a Shankly and all those different names. You should know about that if you're a supporter of the team. So yep. uh, I'm not a historian by any means, but Liverpool has a very – very special place in my life now today.
0: I want to interject for our listeners that if you're following along with our social media accounts, we did hear at Russell about running HQ through some chatter, discover that there might be somebody hacking our system. Then they might be tweeting derogatory things about soccer. So if in the next hour or so you see anything derogatory coming from any of our accounts about soccer, assume that that's because we were hacked and it does not reflect the views of this podcast whatsoever. Um, Thomas, you live in Columbus and Andrew and I have talked about this a little bit before on the podcast, but as I've said, I, I live up in Cleveland, so I'm not in the Columbus market and the crew has not always been easy for me to to watch and follow from up here. So I haven't been as involved with the team and its phantom as you have in the last, you know, year or so. Um, I want you to talk a little bit about the Columbus crew and the save the crew efforts and, and just kind of talk us through a little bit about what the last year was like is, the survival of the team was very much in limbo and, and how it feels now that we're into a new season and we've kept our team here and the role, the small
1: role you played in that. Well, I'll first say the role was extremely small. There was okay. a, um, there was a small group of uh, passionate fans within Columbus that were in like the collective, the, 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 I guess you call it the brain trust of the operations and they work directly with getting events planned and um, being out there in social media and getting all of these programs put into place. I mean, they had, they had kids days where they taught them um, different soccer techniques. They had events with the Columbus Eagles, which is a minor league women's soccer team. They had events with even the Cleveland soccer club, uh, a minor league MPSL team up in, yep. up in the Cleveland area. They, they, put on all these different events. They got all these drives put together. They raised money. They raised um, supplies for kids. They raised uh, soccer supplies, equipment and all that stuff. So they, they did a ton. And on, in November, October of 2017, when the news came out, Grant Wall posted this tweet that Anthony Precourt, the investor operator, not owner of the Columbus crew had decided he was going to move the team to Austin, Texas. And as a kid, I grew up with the Browns, and I grew up with the Browns leaving. There was a chunk of my life for about three years where we didn't watch any, we didn't watch football until it was in the Super Bowl. We didn't. Like I told you I grew up watching NFL every Sunday, the Browns every Sunday. Yeah, our TV just didn't have football on for those three years. That's yeah. how you know, like committed we were. But seeing it before with the Browns, I thought, okay, this is this is not good for a city. But you had a small group of people that eventually it turned into a mass of supporters. And I was in that mass of supporters who were doing as much as I could with the time that I had. Um, I wouldn't say that my commitment was up there with all of the people who are running the events, but I've never seen a group of people really come together for a collective cause in sports to the point that I did with Save the Crew because they came in and they didn't necessarily buy the team themselves. So it's not like the Save the Crew people pooled their money together. And now we're all part owners of the Columbus crew. What they did is they made the team attractive to investors. They made it team attractive to those people who could spend the money, who had the money, like the Haslam family, like the Edwards family. Um, So the Browns owner, if you didn't know, the Browns owner and his wife, well, both of them, they're part investor operators now of Columbus crew, more D Haslam um, than Jimmy, which might actually be a good thing if you talk to some Browns fans, but <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to refrain from commenting. <clears throat> yeah, that's a whole different um, sports special. But <laughs> he, they made the team attractive so people would want to invest money. And right now, it's amazing because the fans are are out here. They've always been here the whole time. I'd say the same fans that are going to the matches now are the same ones who supported the team throughout it. Just a little history. Anthony Precourt the guy who was trying to move the team to Austin. And this week, actually, some news broke that he might not even be able to move the team to Austin because (laughs) of some tax issues and the fact that he doesn't (laughs) want to pay for anything. But that's a a whole other awesome story. But he did so much damage to Columbus, like a little behind-the-scenes information. He cut the marketing department. Yep, I think it was down to maybe one or two people. Any outreach to any Hispanic communities in Columbus, he cut it. Any outside events that they did, He cut it. They weren't upkeeping the stadium every week. There are pictures of bathroom stall doors broken, leaking water through ceilings. And he was just, he was out. He was an absentee owner.
0: (sighs) I think I made the comparison. You didn't
1: see the writing. Go ahead.
0: I would say, I think I made the comparison when Andrew and I talked about this, that he was essentially like doing what Rachel Phelps tried to do in the movie major league. Like I will just (laughs) cut everything to make this team so unattractive that nobody will want to come. I, I think it was two years ago, the playoff game, the home playoff game, they only had one entrance open into the stadium so that when the game started, the stands would look half full. And it's like at, yeah, at I that was point, in line. yeah. And it's like at that point, everybody knew it was going on. So it was really funny. Like you're trying to convey this image that nobody wants to come, but everybody that followed MLS kind of knew that Anthony Precourt was doing these things. So I was like, You goof they're gonna talk about this in a way that makes you look like an idiot because of it. But yeah, it was I had heard all those stories and Rachel Phelps from major league was what I thought
1: of. Well, it's one of the situations where you don't, you didn't necessarily see it, or maybe you didn't choose to be conscious of it, or maybe right. you just ignored it. The, the lack of focus on the team, but he never moved to Columbus. Uh, he said yeah. a lot of things when he first moved here, I'm going to buy a house in Columbus. And uh, people are so worried about this team moving and they're so paranoid about this stuff. well, Maybe this is why, because, right. you know, snake oil salesmen come in on the wagon and they try to sell and then they move right out. But right. luckily we had Greg Berhalter, who's now the U.S. men's national team coach. He was right. a sporting director and he brought in a lot of players that kept this team relevant. Although practically yeah. the whole team now was all because of Berhalter and in those years that those two ended the season where the team was in limbo, possibly moving. I mean, they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals, and then they made it deep into the playoffs the second year too. Yeah, so it it it's a situation to where Anthony Precourt tried to be like a, a Rachel Phelps, but he um, he even did that poorly.
0: And that, yeah. that that sounds pretty much like him. Just from everything I've read about him, that he's just one of those guys who thinks he's smarter than he is. And yeah. I think one of the things that I really enjoyed the most about the debate from afar was that the Save the Crew movement really seemed to ignite this debate about who a club belongs to. Like is a club, um, is it a money-making vehicle for rich ownership? You know, I invest in this and therefore I'm entitled to do what I want with it. Or does the club belong to the fans, to the city? And you, know, you talked about how the Save the Crew movement really made the team, the club, look attractive to investors. A big part of doing that was that you know, they show that that support is there. That the club really is this organic thing that belongs to the fans, and that that fandom really is what part of what makes that club so so attractive to people. And right. um, I love that because you know we yeah. talked about the Browns. We've seen it with other sports franchises too that have been moved. The Seattle SuperSonics, uh, SuperSonics, when they moved. You're a hockey fan. We've seen it with different hockey teams moving. Um, you I, know, I understand that. Yeah, a ton. I understand that, that owners put up a lot of this money. And, and by the way, they do it by holding cities hostage for funding for stadiums and things like that. Um, You know, so much of ownership seems to be finding a way to build public money for as much as they can and not paying as not paying what they, what they and, should.
1: And reap all the benefits of having that stadium.
0: Exactly. And so it's like, if you're going to do that, we need to have conversations about fandom and who a club really belongs to. And, Uh, I love that the Save the Crew movement really seemed to do that because it really did feel like the conversation was a large part. uh, A large part of the conversation was who does this club belong to? And the answer was that it didn't belong to Anthony Precord. It belonged to Columbus. And I love the way that it it ended up.
1: Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I think now you're still seeing that there's rebuilding that has to be done. There's a lot of work that you have to do to correct the marketing. Because I'll talk to people in Columbus. I work with I work at a big company and there are a lot of people that, you know, I interact with throughout the day. And there are people who don't know that the crew season started yet. And it's not any fault of the save the crew people or for Dr. Pete Edwards, who's now investor operator or D Haslam. It's the fact that over the last few years, it's just been gone from the psyche. And you know how long it takes for something to be penetrated into your brain to, to get something at marketing has to have multiple touches. It has to have multiple, you know, it has to attack you pretty much yeah. for people to know. So the news had covered it. The news covered when the crew was about to leave the news covered when the crew came back and people knew about that stuff, but mm-hmm. there's still some people. I, I talked to some other soccer loving friends of mine and they'll say, yeah, people are asking me, Oh, how do you feel that the crew left? And they don't know like that what's going on in their own city, right? That there's still matches being played. So that's going to take some time. I think the owners that they have now are the investor operators they have now. I keep correcting myself because they call themselves owners, but technically in the MLS, you don't own anything because you're all a franchise. You, right. Anyway, um, but they, it's going to take some time. I think towards the middle and the end of this season, you're going to see attendance bump up because you have a good team on the field. You have a product on the field. So it's just people don't know about it. The more that we have marketing, and they have a ton of TV marketing now, they're everywhere on social media, they're out in the community. So they're doing all the right things. I think it's just going to take some time to kind of get back to, or get to like a new, you know, revival of the crew being here in Columbus. But I'm, I'm excited for the future. I'm excited to uh, be out at the matches, and I'm also excited to get you and Andrew. Yes, down here for the match. And Andrew's, summer. Andrew's even said yes to this.
0: He has. So I was amazed by that.
1: So, yeah, and I'm stunned that he Our- agreed with me on anything. So that was. <laughs>
0: Hope the uh, hope the sitting in the airport's going well for you Andrew <laughs>
1: <laughs> <sighs> Okay, so a lot of things going on in Ohio, especially yeah. within Columbus here but also down the road in Cincinnati they have their own MLS team now. so I'm hoping to get you guys down maybe for that first tell is Real Cup. Do you know the origin story behind that? I don't actually. Have you ever driven from Columbus to Cincinnati or down to Cincinnati at all? Oh, yeah. The billboard. There is. A, yeah, the billboard. That that billboard. Yeah. And there is a uh, crew fan, also a Liverpool fan. Oh. Who actually came up. He coined the hell is real. <laughs> hell is real derby. He sold scarves for it and stuff because they have played one match against each other. Okay. They played a U.S. Open Cup. I want to say two, two years ago or last, I can't remember which year it was, but um, they played down in Cincinnati and Columbus lost. But I think this time around, you're going to see a different product um, down there. So I'm excited. It's in August. So clear your calendar. August August 10th. Yeah. Yeah. Come on down. And then I'm trying to go a couple weeks later down to Cincinnati too. So I'm not yeah. having you, you know, totally invest in driving down, you know, five hours or six hours, however long it takes to get from Cleveland to Cincinnati. But, um, yeah, you should come on down. It should be fun. Yeah, but even I'll in the even down. in the minor league game, there are minor league teams throughout the city or uh, throughout the cities of Cleveland, throughout Columbus. Uh, yeah, see, yeah. So Cleveland Soccer Club. Have you ever been to one of the matches? I have
0: not, Um, and I'm ashamed to say that. I think largely we've talked about this off the pod. Unfortunately, my sporting my ability to attend sporting events really has to revolve around my schedule. I tend to be working when others are playing, and so. Um, right. The servicing
1: industry, the services industry does that
0: to you. Yeah. So unfortunately it's like when, when I'm free, I have to kind of tier my priorities of what I want to go to. And and for me, the Indians, especially during the summer are are top of the list. So if (laughs) I'm off and I'm going to a sporting event, it's usually going to be an Indians game, but uh, I actually had a former high school player that played for uh, Cleveland soccer club for, I think a season. Um, that was a long time ago now, but, uh, played for them. And, uh, they 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 keep uh, they keep expanding, it seems like. They've they kicked around a few different stadiums now. I think they played Ball and Wallace College, which is actually Ball and Wallace University right. now, which is my alma mater. Um, so they, they keep expanding their venues and, and seem to be doing very well, um, which is exciting to see because that's kind of been an entry point for different franchises throughout MLS. And I'm not saying that would happen up here, but it, it's good to see these minor leagues starting to thrive because in, in soccer, just within the United States in general, I'd like to eventually see something involving promotion and relegation and i think the healthier your infrastructure is with smaller clubs the more likely mm-hmm. something like that is to happen it's it's just good for the game in general in the united states so i'm excited about that
1: and even up in up in cleveland there's uh there's also a, a minor league team in columbus that started throughout all the turmoil of save the crew not because mm-hmm. of save the crew not because the crew was leaving just because right. there was somebody who wanted to start a minor league team so even in Columbus, you're seeing multiple levels of it around you and not just in the men's game, but in the women's game, but up in Cleveland, they did have a few years ago, they won the MPSL championship. Yeah, actually. So they won the whole thing before they um, had to change ownership, rebrand everything. And there's an amazing article out there too. If you're, if you're looking for one, it talks about how quickly this new iteration of Cleveland soccer and the Cleveland soccer club has come to pass. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting stuff. and, and the stuff that they're doing, like they are so on point with their with their branding. We've talked about the person who does their digital graphics on here a little bit before, because LeBron stole his Odell Beckham Jr. picture. But uh, they do all this awesome work, and they're working with Cleveland Clothing Company. They sell jerseys, they sell yeah. shirts, like all of this within a few short months. Yeah. They put this team together in no time at all. And I went to a match last year with another Liverpool supporter, Michael. Michael Yeager. He's a um, he's a good friend. We actually went up to Michigan too and hung out a little bit for the Liverpool Manchester United game this preseason. But we had a great time. And I'm going to get you to one of the Cleveland Soccer Club matches this year. I'm all about it. All right. So there's a lot going on in Ohio with soccer, a lot going on in the United States. But I mean, we're all here wearing red. We've talked now for 31 minutes a little bit about Liverpool, but let's let's uh hop in the plane. We're in our own plane and we're going to fly over to Liverpool, England and talk a little bit about what's going on with them. So Adam, have you, uh, have you been enjoying Liverpool lately?
0: This has been just a fun season in general to enjoy. I have, um, I I'm getting to watch the best Liverpool team that I've seen in my lifetime. Um, we're, we're here at the end of the season. now. We, we just finished up game number 33 yesterday. So we're down to five games left in the league and I'm enjoying myself immensely. They are making life difficult for us at times. They're playing in some tight games, some some wins that shouldn't come down to the last minute like they have. But we're at that point now where all that matters is winning. Collect every single point that you can and see where it goes. And I'm I'm having a blast watching them. They had the the let's talk about the Tottenham win first last week, Thomas, because it was there's a there's a term spursiness. Spursy. <laughs> and and that, that game was peak Spurs, peak Spursy. if you want to talk about it that way, because Tottenham played a good game. Like, the way that game started, we, we got out there, and we looked just dynamic and fluid. We scored the early goal, great crossing from, from Robo to, to Bobby, and you're up one nothing, and you feel like you're in the driver's seat. And I really felt like we dominated the first half of that game, and then halftime hit. And Tottenham made their adjustments, and as seems to be the case lately with Liverpool, there was about a 25-minute a period in the second half where just you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you can kind of feel like, man, the fact that you didn't get that second goal it's going to come back to bite you, and you and I were texting during the game, and we both saw the goal coming before it happened. We just knew it was coming, and Tottenham ties it up, and now all of a sudden the angst. The angst settles in. Oh my God, we're gonna drop points. The yeah, Spurs are good, but we can't afford to drop points. And then and then the Spurs spurs it.
1: I will share with everybody. You said we were texting to each other, and you're being a little humble yeah. when you say we were texting with each other, because you a few times, I think three times, you said Sala hero coming up. Yes, you just said yes, sala hero coming up. And you put you texted about three times. And then what happens? Most
0: Salah Not here, other
1: him? than. <laughs> well, Salah goes in. Go, tell no, you know, do just the Salah,
0: Salah was in the right place at the right time, off of a corner that got cleared. Uh, passed the ball out. Trent was in the right place, right time. Had this kind of a, a really like big sort of lofted cross that seemed to hang up in the air forever. And, and Mo got himself in a position to to do something dangerous. You know, when when the ball's in the box like that, you you don't know what's going to happen. Sometimes it's just a matter of putting putting your foot or putting your head on the ball and just hoping that it gets into a dangerous area. And that's what he did. And, you know, the spursiness of all of this comes from the fact that the keeper should have handled it. It was right in his hands. He should have caught it, but he didn't. And instead, he, he deflected it off of his own defender. And there's a great picture of the keeper watching the ball go into the net with this shocked look on his face and... It's just it was peak Tottenham Spurs. This team that is good in its own right and always feels like they should be right there, and they are, but they can't quite get over the finish line. And in this case, they helped us get over the finish line of that game. So, um, yeah, you know, a nervy win, but a win we needed, and uh, a great way to start my week last week. <laughs> And then yesterday, do you care
1: how Liverpool wins? Do you I, I care don't. how Liverpool wins
0: these matches? I, I don't. Um, and you know, I think there's something too about this because we're in the middle of this this season. I looked up the record today. the The most points to ever win an EPL season was last year. That was City with 100 points, only team that's ever scored 100 points in a season. If Liverpool went out, which I predict they're going to, they're going to finish with 97. That would have broken the previous record of 95. And so I think there's times because we're so tight with Manchester City and the fact that we don't control our own destiny that we look at some of the warts of this team and we we go, oh my God, you know, they make these games tight, you know, they require all these last, you know, 10 minute goals. I don't care how they win. Like the fact that they're winning and they're doing it the way that they are, they're handling the pressure of knowing that they they can't draw points, that they have to win every game and no, I don't care. I don't. I don't care that we see these warts because every other team has them. I mean, City's dropped some awful games this year. They're, they're, they have their destiny in their, in their control, which we don't have. But they've, they've lost some bad teams, and so I'm sure City fans look at their team sometimes and go, "What the hell are we doing?" And I just think because of the angst we feel trying to go after this title, like we, we see the warts sometimes. I don't care. Do you care?
1: No. no. I mean, for my confidence, it'd probably be nice if we. Can- yeah blow out a team like Southampton convincingly, right? Not, you know, within the last few minutes. And it'd make me feel good for the future. And it'd probably keep some years on my life. <laughs> if it made it a little easier. But um no, I don't as long as we get the three points. I I really could care less what happens at the end of the game.
0: I think there's something too that as much as we want that that kind of easy win to bring us confidence, the fact that they have now all year, they've scored 21 goals in the last 15 minutes of league games, this is a team that just knows how to get across the finish line when they need to. And so as much as I, I agree with you, like I really wanted the Southampton game yesterday to be an easy win. I wanted to walk into work and know that we were up 4 nothing and just not have to worry about it. And Instead, it was 1-1 when I walked in. Um, but I also had that confidence that I've seen this team now so many times this year take care of business when they needed to. That, that gives me confidence for these last five games. Um, we've referenced the Southampton win. Uh Thomas, you got to watch it more kind of like as it was going on than I did. So I'm curious for your breakdown a little bit, and then we can talk about some of the adjustments at halftime that we made in the second half
1: adjustments that led to the victory. Right. You um I'll come out and say you are more of an optimist than I than I am when it yeah. comes to sports, when it comes to your teams, especially the Indians and Liverpool. You're a lot more optimistic. When I'm sitting watching the games, like I can't. I can't talk to anybody. I just have to sit there and I have to focus on the game and I'm watching the game. Okay. And I'll, I'll text a little bit. Like we texted back and forth during the match um, until you had to leave. But when they scored that first goal, I was already on edge before that, because right. at this point of the season, you only have a handful of games left. Yeah. You got to close it out and you have a lot of pressure on you. So when they scored that first goal, I was just like, let out a big sigh. like, Oh, Oh, God. And I thought, this is it. And I, I I get very pessimistic. I get very, you know, tinfoil hat. The world is ending, conspiracy theorists. This is not going to end well, and Liverpool is going to be awful. And I know this, a lot of people like to support or shame for not supporting your team all the time. But I get a little frustrated whenever you give up a goal to the Shane Longs of the world playing against Southampton um, when you have all of this. And I'm looking at the play. And it was early on, so you couldn't really see a ton of the problems yet. But that was like the first big midfield issue. There was no midfield yesterday. No, and that was... It was, that, it was just free reign because you had... We were bad you, in the first half. Yeah, Nabby, Fabinho, and Genie were all on different pages. I don't think yeah. there was any communication. You see these guys so close to each other also. Like, they're, they don't know who to go after. They don't know their right. assignments. And I think it was just maybe... Maybe the first nerves. I know they haven't played a ton together. They haven't had that that three guys in the midfield at the same time too often this season. Because right. mostly in big games, you have Milner, Henderson, and Genie playing. Right. And then you've seen Fabinho come in every once in a while. You've seen Naby start a match here and there. But those three, um, it was it was ugly. We got the goal. We came back and we drawed. Second half, Klopp is not a, a halftime substitution guy. He does not bring on guys on halftime he doesn't overreact let's say no. he doesn't get upset like okay i gotta do something i gotta do something but pretty quick into the second half yeah when um it was a draw i watched the game on the NBC sports app and i um, watch it from my amazon fire stick so i'm not watching it live and i'm not even watching it live with SN. so you texted me you texted me the word jesus and not in <laughs> a um not in a you know, praiseworthy way. No. Texted the word Jesus. And I was like, Oh gosh! Something yeah, I didn't know that. I, didn't I should have told you. It's my fault. But in the second half, I'm just holding my phone up and I keep swiping down. I keep re- re- refreshing Twitter because I know that I'm like three or four minutes behind what's going on in the match. Right. So I can't. I can't even watch the match anymore. I'm pretty much watching Twitter. And I'm looking up and watching the match. Like, I'm saying, okay, what's happening? What's happening? Because I need another goal to be scored. Right When when I saw that Milner and Henderson were being brought on, it didn't say on Twitter who they're bringing, brought in for. But I thought, oh, okay. They're going to bring them in for probably Naby and Fabinho because they're right. the ones who kind of look lost out there. And then they brought them in for Trent and Ginny. And I was like, okay, well, that's one way to do it. You're Jurgen <laughs> Klopp and I'm sitting here in America refreshing a Twitter feed, so I can't tell you how to manage a, a soccer right. team. But... When they came in, it was just—it was night and day. Yeah, we we texted about it before halftime. There was no. There was no communication in the midfield. There was nobody kind of taking charge and taking leadership in the midfield. And this is not not is not a knock against Virgil, who was the captain yesterday, but he's not in the midfield. He's in the he's in the defense, right? And he's trying to survive not having anybody in the midfield. But when Henderson came on, it. I know a lot of fans like to hate on him, hating all day for Henderson, but he just, I think he took the game under his wings and he just, he was in control of it. I mean, he had an assist and a goal. That's yeah. pretty, that's pretty good for only playing what, 25 minutes.
0: Well, and he's, he's one of the last guys that's a holdover from that 13, 14 team that finished second. Mm-hmm. Like most of us, yeah, club you know, is new. Like him and what, Minule, probably, who doesn't see the field ever.
1: I think I guess, he's okay with that. I think he's fine with sitting on the bench and, I'm completely and fine tweeting with about on the bench. And...
0: Yeah, I'm completely fine with that. Well, it was funny because you and I were talking a little bit beforehand, and I posed the question to you about Henderson. And, and I want to preface this by well, saying... Well, no, you that's...
1: said... Let me let me say what you really said to get the record out there. You said, whisper, this is our strongest midfield with Naby I Fabinho. Think, I, I, and, still, I still think Juni. it is. And I came back and I said... And I came back and I said, I miss Henderson. I think Henderson should be a yeah, we had a good we had a good back and forth.
0: You did. And I want to preface this like Jordan Henderson's sort of a, a fascinating figure. He reminds me a little bit of, of Kevin Love with the Cavaliers. Like when Kevin Love was with the Cavs, when LeBron was still here, he was that guy that was so vital to the team. And yet I felt like fans spent a lot of their time wondering what we could get for Kevin Love and debating how important he actually was. And, and <laughs> he was vital. Kevin Love was vital to this, to the Cavaliers winning a title. Jordan Henderson is this guy that so many people overlook and and you know debate whether or not he's really important and, and kind of diminish the things that he does. I love Jordan Henderson. As Klopp has, has evolved the team, there's times I look at Henderson and go, okay, I sometimes struggle to see where he fits, not because I don't love what he does, but if you're playing a defensive midfield, Fabinho was probably Fabinho was bad yesterday. It was really the first really bad game I've seen Fabinho have. Um, But Fabinho usually, like you said, he tends to come in and he tends to kind of settle things down when he comes in the second half. And I feel that as a pure defensive mid, he's better than Henderson. Henderson isn't a true attacking mid like he's not he doesn't do what Oxley Chamberlain does for us he doesn't do what if we'd signed uh, Fakir he doesn't do what Fakir would do for us he's not that creative attacking minded mid that we really want Kata to be um, so there's times I look at Henderson and go like where does he fit with the mid like if you're going to start Fabinho is Henderson and Ginny like is there just too much is there too little creativity in a midfield that involves those three is there you you need know, a
1: yin and yang? It, you need a yin and yang with Fabinho because Fabinho is a yeah, he's a marauder. He's out there, he's yeah. he's trying to slide and tackle people, he's gonna muscle people off the wall. He's a big guy. Right. And he's not a he's not a Ness type fielder. You kind of need somebody like Fabinho, he's he's reckless, not in a bad way. No. Like he he controls and yeah. he, he can get a, a little, you know, fighty out there, which you need it. But Henderson, he's just consistent. You have that yin and yang of Fabinho and Henderson, and together they can kind of calm each other—not calm right. each other down, but Henderson can calm Fabinho down, definitely. And then Henderson's also yeah. the guy who he switches the field. He he can slow things down if they have to. If you're like, hey, bring it back, everybody. He's the kind of guy who does that, and that's what you look for in like the captain of your
0: team. And, and so. that right there is is where like for as much as you might look at what's going on with the team tactically. And sometimes look at it and say, I don't always know where like a Henderson fits. I mean, I don't always know where a Milner fits. It kind of depends on what your tactical plan is with these midfielders. Because all of the midfielders are really good at what they do. It's just you kind of have to look at what your tactics are going to be for that for that game to decide who really is the best fit for it. But where Henderson is so vital, where he was so vital yesterday, and where he gets overlooked and you you can't just simply look at a team as a collection of talent. You needed somebody, like you said, to come in and assert things and say, no, boys, we're not losing this game. We're just not. And he was the guy that came in and did that. He had the vital header that set up Mo for his goal. He had the, the third goal to put the game away. And just, if you read about Henderson and what he does in the locker room, like he's the epitome of a captain, even though he's not starting every game, he's not, you know, what Steven Gerrard was at the heat at the height of his, you know, abilities. Where you had to have Gerrard in the game, he was everywhere. He was everywhere. Yeah, he yeah. he was everywhere. You know, Henderson's not that for this team as it's constructed now, but the fact is is that he still does the things that a captain needs to do. And in the run up to the end of the season, what you might need isn't necessarily the best collection of talent on the team, but you need the guys who out there are going to bring that mentality and that attitude because it gets nervy. Now you have to win every game yep. and you have to do it while well knowing that you don't have your fate in your hands, which is a little unnerving because you're going out and you have to win. And just, you kind of then have to cross your fingers and hope that things go well for you when city's on the pitch. And so you saw yesterday how vital that is. And so um, you, you have written down on, our, on our, our outline MVP of the match. To me, it was Henderson. The game changed when he came onto the field.
1: Yeah, I'm the only way I'd hold back saying Henderson is the MVP of the match yesterday was because Mo not because of his goal either. But in that first half, he's running everywhere. He was everywhere on the pitch yesterday. His work rate was just amazing. He's running back on defense. You see that hair flying in the wind and he's running back and he's tracking players back. Kind of making up for you know not having that strong of a midfield. I saw him in the defensive side yesterday. Yeah, probably more than you saw him in the offensive side. He had um, he had some opportunities that you know it's hard to do whenever you have six seven guys from Southampton in the box and and they and they pretty much took Mane out of the game yesterday. They did. Their plan was okay. Mane is he they cover like he had he was nothing in the game almost. Yeah. I like he might have had a few touches, but it was not the impact that he's had this season. Mane's been the offensive MVP of the season yeah. for me. Like yeah. he's been he's been great. But Mo is still out there. He doesn't he's not getting down on himself for not scoring a goal. He's not getting down on himself for not at least in the match, you don't see it. He's not no. getting down because his impact is not as huge as it was last year. But last year was insane. You're not expect if you expect well, him to have a year like last year every season, that's it's unrealistic, but he has been given a lot of flack for not celebrating very much. And, you know, Twitter and the internets and fandom in general, you right. look into everything and you're like, oh my God, he's not celebrating. He doesn't like Liverpool. He's going to Real Madrid. Yesterday when he scored that goal, that is the most emotion you saw it meant you've seen on that guy. Yeah. He did the Cristiano Ronaldo. Take the shirt off. Just stand there. And then also, it was pretty amazing that he made uh, Robertson and Hendo hug each other because Rob Hendo's coming in to hug him from the front. Robertson's about to jump on his back. And Salah just like dummies both of them, fakes them both. And then <laughs> they end up hugging each other. I thought it was an amazing thing. That was, oh, I felt a sigh of relief after that. Yeah. It was just like, oh my gosh. Yeah.
0: Which is so how I'd say the rest of the
1: Mo season. was. Mo was. Yeah. I think if Hendo was. Maybe in the match, the whole game, or if he was, if the first half wasn't as ugly as it was, I give Mo the man of the match for being such a a big part in that first half.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I texted you and said, I don't know that I can find a good player on the pitch for this first half. And you texted back and said, Mo, probably the only one, but Mo, and you were right. Yeah. So Thomas, we are winding down with this season and we have two big competitions that we're still involved oh, we got the yeah. premier league and we got champions league coming up Tuesday against Porto. And I want to know how you feel this season plays out on a champions the league champions. prediction and we'll do champions league and then we'll each do premier league.
1: Hmm. This is tough. Okay. So when we beat Porto and we move into the next round, I'm speaking it into existence. I'm, I'm, I'm naming it. I'm claiming it. Okay. When they beat Porto, you're going to be going up against Barcelona?
0: Probably, yeah.
1: <sighs> Barcelona, that is a tough match to win. Yeah. They don't have a lot of competition. now. they in don't. In Spain. And they don't have a lot of match. Like they're playing in La Liga, but that's about it. Like that. And they're not playing very tough teams. From top to bottom, it's not a very strong league.
0: You've seen so, the same issues that PSG dealt with?
1: And I think PSG, the first match against us, no, Liverpool took them. And we could handle the pressure against PSG. Yeah. Second time we played them, when they became, you know, Flop United, where they just started flopping every time a Liverpool player got close, yeah. they just started falling to the ground. That was like, that's how we can slow Liverpool down, it's just yeah. falling over. That was an ugly, ugly second match. If we can see that first game where two teams are fighting against each other and they're giving their best, I'd say it's a toss up between Liverpool and Barcelona. I. I sound biased but I will hesitantly put Liverpool in the final okay. against Juventus.
0: Interesting. That's that's the that's the final that I have predicted. Um I would
1: I will pick since we now have Alisson and we've got a Virgil who's been with the team for a while and if we have a Mo Salah that doesn't have his arm pulled out of his socket, I would I'm gonna pick Liverpool in one match. They, you said 21 goals in the last 15 minutes. They don't, yeah. they don't give up. They're they're gonna keep playing even if they're not looking the best for 65, 70 minutes. They're gonna keep going at you, and they're well, not, not gonna stop. So I, I'll pick Liverpool to win the Champions <laughs> League. Although I feel very nervous about that pick.
0: Well, and we're so much more balanced than we were last year. You talked about Mo in the season he had last year. He had to have the season that he had last year because we were just not strong defensively. Our goalkeeping was awful. Virgil had joined the team, but he had joined the team in the middle of the year. There's obviously adjustments that come with that. And as the season wore on, you know, it became essentially you know a hospital ward with our midfield. We lost Ox <laughs> for the final. Um, we only, We only had three healthy midfielders going into the final. I mean, Chan, I think, they activated him but whether or not he was actually able to play or ready to play was another story and then you lose most a lot and we didn't have a bench you know last year when real madrid when we played them in the final um you know their big substitution was gareth freaking bale and our substitution <laughs> was adam lallana who can't stay healthy um that's it's different this year you know a has Poor taken adam. a step uh shakiri He's in witness protection somewhere, but he is available if you need an offensive spark plug. Um, There's far more balance in the midfield, uh, far more options in the midfield. And as long as you can stay healthy, you know, knock on wood on defense, it's just such a much more balanced team. Um, I'm going to ask you, I'm not going to make a prediction yet because I, I, I'm, that's not, no, well, I made a prediction. I want to hear your premier league because I made a prediction. And if I spoil it now, it's going to give away my premier league prediction too. So.
1: Okay. Premier League. <sighs> this is tough. <laughs> I know. Because if it was up to Liverpool, if we were in the driver's seat, yeah. I would pick Liverpool to win the league. And if I had to choose between the Champions League and the Premier League, I've told you before, I would pick the Premier League over winning the Champions League. Right. I know the Champions League is all the best teams in the world, but the The marathon of the Premier League. Hey, it's running marathon. The marathon of the Premier League, and playing these teams so often, I, and the fact that they haven't won it since it's been branded as the Premier League. I would, I would love to see them shove it in people's faces. But since Man City's in the driver's seat, unless tot, I, I can't trust Tottenham to do anything. As we've seen last week, you can't trust Tottenham to win for you. And I'm kind of the person I like giving your team the control to do stuff. I don't like putting it in other people's hands. I don't think that's, you know, you can't blame the Spurs for losing to Man City or blame Man United for blaming the man, for losing to Man City. And I don't want to root for Man United to beat Man City because I don't like Man United. So since it's not Liverpool's hands, I more begrudgingly, even more than I did with the Champions League pick, unless Man City just has a crapper of a game, I, I don't see how they lose it.
0: I, I made a Here, prediction. Here, take, take
1: my Liverpool score. No, 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 no. I mean, I, more...
0: I, I completely I completely get it. Uh, I mean, as far back as the beginning of the season, I can remember reading Liverpool blogs that were saying, like, you know, it's so tough to look at the season. This is back in August or September. You know, saying how tough it was to look at the season because this is probably the best Liverpool team that we've seen in our lifetimes. And, and you know, for some Liverpool fans, like going all the way back to, like, the, the team that won in 1990. Um, and they were saying how difficult it is to get into the season at times because we were going up against a Man City team that became the first team last year to, to win with 100 points, and they added more depth with three Mahrez to their team. Like
1: mm-hmm.
0: Man City is incredible. We won't talk about how they built that depth and how they've probably broken rules and they're going to be forced to disband the team, but um, they're still, as it is right now, they're an incredible team, and not being in the driver's seat against them so late in the season is difficult. I made a prediction to you before one of our shows. It's got to be like a month or two ago. I don't remember how far back it was, but I made a prediction to you when Liverpool was kind of in the middle of, of struggling where they were in the middle of all these draws and things weren't looking good. And I told you what was going to happen. What did I say?
1: You, you were calling the double. I
0: called the double. And as I look at the rest of this season, um, you know, with champions league, I agree with you. Barcelona is a hell of a team. And when, when I said, do you see the f- same problems with PSG? I, I meant actually for Barcelona. Barcelona plays in a league this year where they just haven't really had anybody that can punch at their level. Real Madrid is a shell of itself since Cristiano. Even Real
1: Madrid. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, they've been, they've they're, been trash, they're a shell yeah. of
0: themselves. So Barcelona has kind of coasted through without a lot of competition. And the difficulty of that is that when you then fight against people that can punch at your level, it can be hard to raise your game. And because we're more balanced. If this was last year's Liverpool team, I would feel far less confident about you know, beating Barcelona. We're going to beat Porto. I should, I should say I'm not overlooking Porto, but we're going to beat them. And then give me one game against Juventus. If it was two games, I think Juventus would be a very difficult proposition for us. But the fact that we would have only one game, we shut Ronaldo down last year with the defense we had, and we are far better this year. So I absolutely believe we can win Champions League. And as far as winning the EPL, I've just always had a feeling. I've had this feeling since Divock scored that goal at the end of the Everton game. I tweeted, I think, that day that we were going to win the league and that moment was going to be the moment that was going to make it possible. And if we're going to win the league, it's going to happen by a handful of points. It's going to be less than three points that we win it by. And I've just always felt since that moment that there was going to be one more just moment of magic for us. And as I look at Man City's schedule, I am not confident about Spurs you know, beating them because we've seen how Spurs, Spurs can be, but Man City has this schedule. They play Spurs three times in 11 days because they have Spurs in their Champions League games. Now, I don't think they're going to lose to Spurs, but when you play a team three times in 11 games and the last game that they play is the EPL game, so Spurs is going to have faced two games where they can get an awful good look at what they're facing, and... They're going to play them. They have Crystal Palace, by the way, in between those two Spurs Champions League game, and Crystal Palace is no slouch. That is a very difficult team to play against. They always have a good fight. And then you've got United. Hi, Andrew, your favorite team. We need them to do something. Um, And then they're still going to have Burnley, Leicester, and Brighton. Now, none of those teams are great, but they're going to have probably games against Juventus mixed in between there. It is a gauntlet for City. And their individual quality on any given day says they should win all of those games, but they're because you place all those games right in a row. I feel like city is going to drop points at some point. Hopefully it's in the EPL game, but I do feel in that run-up of palace Spurs United and Burnley, that they will drop points in one of those four games. And that, that will be what we need to go to go through. And we win the league. We win the league 97 95. Oh,
1: I hope brother. Uh, me too, I, man. I hope to. I just, it's gonna we be... talked about it before the pot. I just hate, I hate blaming the field goal kicker for the, you know, for the game, for missing the field goal at the end of the season. You know, yeah. I don't want to put it, we're the masters of our own destiny. And I just hope that, uh, I hope that you're right because I need to become an optimist. I we're going to go
0: into the last weekend having control of our destiny and it's going to be up to us to to take the game. We'll see.
1: Whew. I don't know if I like the sound of that. I'm going to have to get a lot of <laughs> antacids and stuff like that for that game. Okay. Um we're going to go in, into some word association now and th- uh, then we'll go into our we'll close it out here. So I'm going to list a name of somebody. Okay. And you just give me a word, maybe a maybe a phrase. phrase. about that person. Um, and I'm just going to going to get your thoughts about it. Okay. So you have not gotten this list before. I've not. So you don't know. You can probably guess some of the names on here, probably. but Um, We'll start with, we'll start an easy one. Steven Gerrard.
0: Liverpool. I hear Steven Gerrard and I just think Liverpool. He's, he's the Liverpool squad that I think of.
1: I like that. I like that. Okay. Jurgen Klopp.
0: The right man for the right club at the right moment.
1: Lifetime contract. Okay. Next one. Joel Matip.
0: Unsung hero, probably our, probably our fourth choice center back. I mean, we started with Gomez. Lovren was your starter last year in the Champions League final. Like I, I, Joel Mediv is, is a very capable defender, but for so much of the season to be reliant on him, I mean, he's basically been the guy since Gomez went down in December. Lovren played a couple of games and then he hurt himself against Wolves. Um, Like five minutes in the FA cup. Yep. Yeah. I mean, so just kind of an unsung hero, like when, when I saw that, and you if you told me in January that we were going to basically go the rest of the season with Joel Matip and we were going to be one point out, I would have told you that that was crazy. So he's an unsung hero
1: of this team this year. And his attacking play, shoot, he's cutting through the midfield, yeah. man. He did that yesterday, too. That's not always a great thing
0: for our midfield, but.
1: No. No. I think that tells us more about our midfield yesterday than Matip. Yeah. Um next one. Jose Mourinho.
0: Overrated. Really really good 10 years ago and um just any team he goes into now he just kind of there's a pattern. Initial success and then just kind of the slow sad death into oblivion.
1: How many titles did you win? How many titles did you win? Okay. <laughs> Next one, Brendan Rodgers. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody who we have to rely on, potentially. Uh, and that's what I'm next thinking is like
0: um, possible Liverpool savior.
1: Make up for, anyway, um, Mo yeah. Salah. It's
0: it's like it's too easy just to say Egyptian. King. No, it's just too easy to say Egyptian king. Um, I think he's been I think he's been kind of maligned this year unfairly unfairly maligned this year because he hasn't been what he was last year, and it misses the point that this system is based on the idea that no one guy has to carry the team. I think you know you brought up the idea of like even though he hasn't been scoring, he's busting his ass out there. Every game. Like, he doesn't hang his head. He's, his work rate's incredible. And I think that goal yesterday that he got is going to kind of ignite him for the end of this this run that we've got. Fingers crossed. Yeah.
1: Loris Karius.
0: Um, miscast. He was miscast in the role that he was in last year. If you want to be a team like Liverpool with the aspirations that you have, you can you can carry along young players and let them grow into their roles. I mean, we do that with Robo and with Trent. Uh, you can't do it at goalkeeper. It's just far too, it's far too difficult for a young goalkeeper. You know, the, the mistakes and the pressure that's put on them, you have to have a legitimate season goalkeeper. He was miscast.
1: That's fair. Okay.
0: Dayan Loverin. Best defender in the world. Um, unfortunate. Can't stay healthy. I think he's really good. He just can't stay healthy.
1: Well, I think a lot of that too is and I this is not where association for me, but I'm gonna add lib that he um he came in, played the World Cup, played great. Towards the end, played through an injury. He was yeah. he stood yeah. out on that team, you know, for defense. He was he was amazing in the world he cup. Was. And then you wait till after the window closes. Once the window closes, then you tell your team, oh, I'm hurt. Yeah. Like, uh, that was kind it, it of, so my it would be, a little shysty. No, oh, it was,
0: absolutely. And it ended up not mattering because Joe Gomez came out of nowhere.
1: For sure, yeah. I mean,
0: Joe Gomez is really, he's your second center back now when he's healthy. It's unfortunate what's happened since the Burnley game. But yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. It was, it was incredibly and It could have really torpedoed this team. Luckily, it hasn't.
1: Odd timing. And then last one, Sergio Ramos. Your birthday buddy. Bastard. (laughs) Oh, we're putting the E on this one. No, no,
0: no love for him. I've got one for you. Just because, just because, because of the rumors about him possibly transferring out.
1: Felipe Coutinho. (sighs) I, I miss him he he was he was one dim he was one dimensional i just want to say he wasn't a guy that you bring on he's not like most solid where he's tracking back and he's running with the guys and he's going to play some defense he's going to be all around the pitch for you but right now i think the one thing that liverpool does not really have you're not afraid of them when they're outside of the box Their yeah goals that they score are going to be in the box off of crosses. Right. Mo's going to have some magic. Mane's going to be in the right place at the right time. Bobby's going to have some crazy back heel flip or something like that. When Coutinho was out there with them in this same cast, when Coutinho was yeah. out there, he does that little, you know, left to right. Yep. And then just top corner, just curls it in outside the box. Totally like shot. that. There was a time, I think it was in the 2017 18 season, or it might have been the year before. It seemed like every week he had yeah. another one of those he just had another <laughs> curling uh so i miss i missed those shots
0: it's unfortunate because the role that you're talking about really is the role that ox played so well last year after Coutinho left like if we had he's to me missing a guy like ox is really like the last piece that this team needs that if he was healthy this year it transforms your midfield because he is that guy that would bomb forward and shoot from from far out and not with the same sort of finesse that coutinho has but that ability to do that and because he was so dangerous from out there it's what made the the offense look so good last year because defenses had to decide do i go after him or do i stay with mo or bobby or or sadio um now you just also
1: just hang out hang out in the box yeah yeah. why not i wasn't gonna shoot this
0: i'll say this though and you were you were dead on when you said one dimensional you took the fees from him and you turned it into virgil and you turn it into Allison, and you turn it into Fabinho, and that is how you go from a team that could score a lot of goals but often gave up a lot to a complete team that could possibly win a double.
1: Yeah. To a team that, when you're up by one or two goals, you're not like, oh, yeah. I wish we had another more. I wish God. we had another one. God, God I don't miss those days. So many games where we lost because we didn't have that defense. Okay. I don't, don't miss those days. Yeah, that it was, was fun. There.
0: It was, this is, this has been fun in general and Andrew's been listening and is doing his own word association with, I don't really even, I wish I knew what these were exactly related to his word association.
1: It's best to just, best <laughs> to just move on. I've been trying my best <laughs> to ignore it. Um, He's trying to distract us and I think we've done a really good job of ignoring We have,
0: him. yeah, we've, we've stayed on topic. So that brings us folks to the end. We want to thank everyone for listening today. Uh, We do want to point out that this podcast in the last month or so has basically made it onto every reputable podcast platform. iTunes, Google uh, Podcasts, Spotify, uh, several others. Um, We did do some running things on the pod today. We talked about Meb, and uh, we've done some running things with the pod lately as well. Uh, Melissa Carney, one of the Cleveland Marathon Ambassadors, uh, we did an interview with her on Wednesday, and that went live yesterday. It's available in all the usual places. We also interviewed Scott Long, another Cleveland Marathon ambassador. His interview will be released on Monday. They were great interviews, really had a blast talking to both of them. So look out for those as we count down towards Cleveland, which is six weeks away as of tomorrow. We do ask that if you listen to us, that you give us reviews on all these podcast plat, uh, podcast platforms. It really is the best way for people to find us, to listen to us, to become uh, aware of our podcast. We appreciate the reviews that we've gotten so far. We do return next week. We do return next week with one caveat. Andrew is not going to be back and ready to go on Saturday, so we are pushing the podcast live next week to Sunday. So that's Sunday, April 14th, instead of Saturday. Andrew will be back, hopefully tanned and, and not burned. We hope. We both think he's probably going to get burned. Yeah, he seems um, like
1: a he seems like a frail, frail kind of guy.
0: Yeah, as we said, sickly looking, bald. <laughs> um, we will be doing our Boston Marathon preview. We're really looking forward to talking about that, and hope you guys will enjoy listening to it. That's it for this week. Enjoy your miles this week, folks. Thomas, I will talk to you later.